0: everyone. Thanks again for tuning in to the Everybody Counts podcast. I'm Tracy, and tonight we have part three of our behind-the-scenes series for Bosch Season 6. Awesome guest co-host Ann and I had the opportunity to speak with Episode 5 director Trey Batchelor. Trey has been an AD on Bosch since Season 1, and while this was not his first time directing in his career... It was the first time he directed on Bosch. You may recall that episode five, titled Money, Honey, includes the tension-filled moments when Jay Edgar finally uncovers incriminating video of Alicia Kent. Trey talks about the various tools and techniques used to build that tension. We're also reminded that the Bosch crew is very much like a family that knows each other so well. Trey talks about being able to collaborate with cinematographer and director Patrick Cady using what he calls a shorthand because they have worked together so long. And I must say that Trey's story of security Hearing his first job in Los Angeles is one of the most unique ones I have ever heard. I'm sure that you'll appreciate the passion that Trey shares with fans for the Bosch series. Now on to the interview. Enjoy! Enjoy! Thank you so much i'm tracy of the everybody counts podcast and this is my friend ann who is a super fan of boss she's been on the podcast with us before excellent yes and we're, we're very <laughs> excited ann and i were just talking about how much is in every episode and and, and the episode you directed is no exception it's just packed with storylines so we're anxious to kind of see how you you tackle all of that but if you don't mind giving us a little bit of just a little bit of background about where you how you got into the industry and where you are, to where you are now. Okay,
1: basically, I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I went to school at University of Oklahoma in Norman. And then I had gone on a program called Semester at Sea, and we traveled around the world, and there was a lot of kids from California on that program as well. Back to Oklahoma, I actually ended up starting my own newspaper in Norman, and I loved oh, it. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I, it was like a, I would say it's almost like People Magazine type back in the day. As free magazine you'd give it out to people there was party pictures and we wrote funny articles and gossip stuff like that but and I loved the creative aspect of it but the problem was it was 12 months out of the year you know as soon as you finish one you had to start another one <laughs> and I had kind of been exposed to film a little bit from some of the you know when you grew up in Oklahoma you don't know anybody but when you go out semester C you met some people that were in the industry so it was realized uh, well why can't I do that so after college, I packed up and actually moved out here. At the time, I only really had two contacts. One of them was through my brother-in-law. He knew a producer out here. Okay. And then a girl that I had gone to school with was out here working in the industry as well. And so it's a pretty wild story, and it's, it's, I'll make it as quick as possible. But I'm literally sitting in. So I meet with a big-time producer. He sends me over to this other producer say, saying, you know, meet with this guy. I'm sitting in his office, and, you know, I'm being from Oklahoma. It was kind of funny listening to do business and stuff like that. He was a big talker, all that kind of stuff. He, and before I had come out, I had called my friend Becky and said, listen, I'm coming out. And she goes, okay, well, I'll look for some work for you. So okay. basically now I'm in California trying to find a job, meaning sitting. this is after being told by this one producer, I was too nice that I would never make it in the business. <laughs> because I was oh, too much of a nice guy I was going okay. to get over. So I go sit in this other guy's office, and needless to say, it was a very colorful watching him. Talk to people on the phone, stuff like that. And, you know, he kind of looked at me and said, What do you want to do this? I said, You know, I love film, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, All right, let me call my daughter. So he calls his daughter up and gets her on the phone. And she was the AD at the time. And he says, Hey, I got this kid. I think you should meet him and hire him. And she goes, Okay. But you could tell she was a little perturbed that her dad was calling up for this. And you know, what's his name? And he, he goes, It's Trey Batchelor. And she goes, Trey Batchelor, wait a minute. I just, just heard this. What, I just heard this name. And literally seconds before that, he had told me I needed to print up a thousand resumes and just mail them to every production company in Los Angeles. Oh. And, and she goes, yeah, <laughs> uh, my friend Becky just called me about him. So Let's go. literally the only two contacts I had called the same girl who was working as a second second on the film. And uh, I went interview him. It, it was it, literally, it was like, yeah, you know, if it didn't happen, I'd probably be back in Tulsa.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! So I mean, you can't say it's it's not easy. You're you're that one person who, like, oh yeah, I knew two people. I knew two <laughs>
1: people. Yeah, what was, it was a little <laughs> fortuitous, that's for sure. So I was a little lucky, and then I ended up doing three or four films with that that group of people. So
0: okay, very cool. Now, did you do films for a while? When did you start with television? It was Bosch one of your first shows?
1: Yeah, actually, I had done a second unit on uh, X Files a long time ago. I can't even remember, but okay. I mainly been in film until the first season of Bosch. I actually made my own movie. I would finished shooting my own film and it was in post on it. And somebody, the first AD, mother passed away said they needed somebody to come in on Bosch, episode mm-hmm. seven. And funny enough, I went in, I was referred by somebody else. I went in there, Peter Jan Bruger, the producer, Mm-hmm. You know, he and I had worked together and we hadn't seen each other in fifteen, seventeen years. And I just remember he came in and talked to me and was talking, then he kinda of like left the office and came back in and was like, Trey. Yeah, you know, we had he was like it all started coming back to him. It's like
0: right. we actually
1: worked on the movie Pelican Brief together.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it was one of those foggy deja vu moments. So I got onto Bosch, I did one the episode, and one of the producers, Pat McKee, was on Bosch, and he did this other show called Longmire. And uh-huh. oh, yeah. I literally, that summer had come off of a second unit for a big film that was all, that was, to be quite honest with you, was kind of boring. Okay. Uh, I grew up in where films were, you know, smaller, more interesting. I don't know if you've looked at my IMDb page, but I did a lot of Steven Soderbergh films like Travel oh, wow. Out of Sight, and the Oceans movies, 11 and 12. So,
2: yeah,
1: um, it seemed like filmmaking was getting more of these big virtual, you know, where it's just green screens and stuff. Yeah. Just, yeah. So they weren't as as emotionally interesting. So I went on and worked on Longmire, and that was a great experience as well. We go up to Santa Fe, and it's kind of like, it's funny, they're Bosch and uh, Longmire, you yeah, it's about a, a female, a male sheriff who everybody kind of comes up to, who always does the right thing, even though it bucks the system. So they're kind of similar in, in certain situations. So yeah, and I loved working with people. It's kind of a very much of a family atmosphere on, on uh, Longmire as, as it is on Bosch, and then they basically just started alternating back and forth mm-hmm. so I, I did that for half the year in between times I'd be working on my film and then go okay. back to life.
2: Okay. Okay. Busy, busy guy. Oh, uh, yeah. well, that's what I was thinking. Very busy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Busy <laughs> is good. Yeah, it's been a busy few years for sure.
0: So, tell us a little bit about the transition from being an AD, right, and then going into the directing role was was that a smooth transition? Did did everything you've done before just help and you know make the directing experience even better, or was there anything that was distracting? That well, I used to do this and
1: well, I've, I've done again. I made a I made a short film fifteen years ago and that was mm-hmm. pretty eye opening, and then mm-hmm. uh, this movie that I made was a micro budget film that we it's called Burning Dog, and it just it's been out now for about a month streaming. Oh uh, great. Then, it's like a total micro-budget type film, and it's a, okay. you know, it's a pretty wild film. And then when I was on Longmire, one of the directors we were working with, father passed away, and he had to leave. And so I ended up directing four days out of Okay,
0: episode.
1: Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, in reality, being an assistant director, so if you, you know, coming from where I po- took photographs always growing up and wrote for that newspaper, and I've written my own <laughs> stuff, I kind of have, you know, I'm a storyteller and they have the huge imagination. And so you can do the job of being an AD without that. But back in the day, I mean, that's where Hitchcock came from, was assistant director. Okay. Um, it was literally how they stepped people up into the, you know, that was one of the roles you, you would start off in the camera, work up to be a DP. You start off as a okay. production assistant, become a director. So, and that's why the guilds are still together today. You know, ADs are with the directors. So, so you kind of gain the experience there and, you know, that was been my whole goal is always to direct. Now some ads don't have that goal; they want to go on to produce and stuff like that. But for me, I'm a visual person, and I like the interaction with people. So the biggest thing that ads have a problem is they don't let go of logistics. Instead. Okay. And I kind of learned that lesson making my own film. Yes. And then I learned a little more on directing on Longmire. And so on Bosch, you know, with Patrick, and Patrick and I have been working together for now, you know, six years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We have such a shorthand that a lot of things that directors need to worry about, they don't have to. I mean, you know, I can just look at him and he'll know, I don't like it. He can look <laughs> at me and tell me, mm-hmm. don't do that, Trey. So yeah, a lot of first-time directors get frustrated because they're thrown into a situation where they're around strangers. Whereas, yeah. with Bob, you know, we've all been, I've been there since the first season mm-hmm. and so I kind of you know usually my role is always when a director comes on I kind of say okay this is how we work here this is how you know this actor likes to go this is how this producer likes you know certain things mm-hmm. we always make it, you know we always tend to make our days we don't want to go long hours you know you have to kind of bring everybody up to speed so for me it was very and and my first AD was actually my second AD So we elevated Parker Clemente up to first AD. So again, I had that short language with them.
0: Sure, Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. So probably the biggest thing was trying to be too conscious of the clock. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and there was a couple of days, we've had, you know, Bosch, we're always shooting three, four different locations. But the comforting thing is that, you know, as an AD, you can only do so much to help the director. Then at some point, it's their responsibility To make sure the day is done, and some of them don't take that responsibility Mm. as much as other directors. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So the 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 comforting thing for me is like you know when we get behind, you know I'd look at Parker and Parker would be worried about it, but you know I'd look we got it, buddy. I know how to cover yeah. the next scene to get us out and we'll make our day and still be good
2: sure okay okay I have a question if I yeah, if I ahead. can ask it are you shooting multiple locations at the same time and or are you on site for each shoot or how does how does that actually
1: work so in episode five and it's also unique with Bosch so basically we're it's a, a I mean now I'm, it's like an eight day episode. And sometimes Mm -hmm. they go seven and nine days. We kind of mix and mash. And we're typically 42, 44 pages. So you're doing about six to seven pages a day. Sometimes you'll do, if we have a big stunt sequence, we'll do less and do more stuff on stage. And, you know, this last year, I think, you know, the pattern was we'd spend two days on stage and six days out on location, which as you watch the show, you'll see it throughout So to answer your question, what's confusing is that sometimes you'll shoot four scenes and it can be at the beginning of the episode, at the end of the episode, in the middle, in one day. And so in episode five, when Bosch goes to see the preacher at his house, that was the first thing we shot up in the morning. And then when they go to find the homeless guy on the corner of the street, that was in the middle of the day. And then when Chief Irving has his debate and is getting his makeup, that was at the end of the day. And those were all locations spread apart and all over right. the episode so it's does that make sense and
2: yeah I think so I think yeah.
1: so yeah so ba- basically you know we have like eight days to try to shoot you know 44 pages and you know I'm trying to remember my scene count you know my scene count was 59 scenes Ooh, <laughs> <Yeah>. that's
0: a <laughs> lot of big numbers
1: <laughs> it's a lot of scenes and then you know a lot of A lot of times, you know, we were shooting in four or five, four locations a day. So it's crazy.
0: So who does make that decision of which, like, do you try to get them as close together as possible? Like logistically, who makes those decisions of when and which scenes?
1: Well, pretty much it's all, you know, as the first AD, what will happen is on Bosch, especially in Los Angeles, we go for these locations that are pretty extravagant, hard to get. Let's put it that way. So you have to (laughs) give them a lot of warning about when you're going to do that. So they will yeah. kind of put the board out. And then they try to put the, the with the producers and the locations department, they try to kind of group it in an area. And okay, really, the first AD's job to go in and schedule it to make sure you time it out. Because a lot of these things like, you know, we shoot all these scenes. It, it seems so simple. I just literally watched episode five again. But like <laughs> shooting on a street corner in Los Angeles is a nightmare because you have to try track- <laughs> And sure. only certain times of day, you know, between seven and nine and and, uh, and uh, three and six, they won't let you shoot because it's rush hour.
2: Right. Okay.
1: It's all these little pieces of the puzzle. And then, you know, sometimes the story takes place at, you know, it's evening, but you're gonna have to shoot that first thing in the morning because they won't let you into that location. So it's a huge jigsaw puzzle. And uh, the first AD's job is ideally, he takes all the pieces, you know, he's the guy who's kind of like the, Best example is a colonel on a battlefield. He takes all the information and figures out, okay, how can I get this army mm-hmm. through these battle lines and into the next position to shoot?
2: Okay. So that's okay. more of a logistical kind
1: of it's role. It's totally logistical. And that was the one thing I was saying. As It's really directors that understand some of the logistics behind moving the company and stuff. You know, they don't need to, but it's usually can be better directors because they understand a lot of directors that don't understand logistics will say well i want to do this and you'll tell them why you can't do that and they'll say well i just i don't understand i want to do that and and then you come to the end of the day and you you have one hour left or an hour of sunlight and they go well why is that And i said you know so typically on 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 tv shows we do something called a timeline you go through for each scene and write down how much time you're going to spend there and then you know you have to put in company moves and stuff like that
0: okay okay very interesting well i want to dig in a little bit to a specific group of scenes in episode five where it culminates with jerry coming in with the laptop and showing mrs kent the video that whole buildup was just the perfect amount of tension and stress <laughs> and, and the way you group the scenes together can you give us any insight into how you plan to capture it that way
1: you're talking about the actual interest into the police station and stuff or... Well, no,
0: just the just the build up with Gary's at the hospital looking for the files. And then he gets the text from Bosch that, you know, she's already there. And, she, you know, she arrives early and just all those different elements. But it's not like you just showed it all in a row. You know, it was kind of broken up. And I just wonder what kind of thoughts go through a director's mind to try to show that tension to the viewer and that stress level for the viewer. Like, is he going to get there in time? Is she going to leave? You know, right. how do you start wrapping your head around how and when to... Put those scenes together.
1: So but basically, that it's it kind of started off, you know, in prep. When you write something and put down, it's like Jay Egger looks for evidence. That's a very kind of big word, you know. And mm-hmm. so the director, part of my prep was sitting down and going through that. And a lot of it is visual. Is that you know Jay Egger? So that you know the storyline is they're trying to find video evidence to mm-hmm. counter Mrs. Kent's alibi. Right. So to translate that onto screen, you have to kind of work it, reverse engineer it. And so literally okay. what we did is I met with, you know, Mark Douglas, who's our post producer, and then and Judy, who does all our visual graphics. And then obviously Patrick and Parker were there as well. You know, we started talking through these scenes and saying, how can we put this stuff, you know, you can write something that's like, he finds something, he finds evidence, but what is that evidence? Cause you have to show that visually. So I, that was one of the biggest things I did in prep was actually what I did was shot listed the whole film in scene order, which is really difficult to do. So I, I started at scene one, mm-hmm. started to have my transitions and I, and this took many, many hours. So as I shot listed through, I was able to kind of see every time, you know, Jay Edgar basically looks for the evidence five different times. Mm-hmm. And he's really in a situation. The first thing, he starts off in the uh, first morning, he has his jacket on. He's looking through the evidence. Bosch is there. Then we come back a couple of hours later, and his jacket's off. He's now coming back with a cup of coffee. He's now mm-hmm. transferred package. Then, you know, we go to, the, then he takes it home with him. Mm-hmm. So the whole point with Jay Edgar was really, show him he's a bit like Bosch you know okay. hold of something he hangs on to that so right. he's looking for evidence that probably that probably doesn't exist there and mm-hmm. so the idea is to keep seeing him going away so once he does finally you know and the, one of the things we had Titus do is in the coffee break room you know Titus says uh, Bosch says when do we get the uh, search warrant to go to the hospital because they can't find mm-hmm. any of the stuff there. So they think the evidence is on the hospital server. So J. Edgar says it first thing in the morning, and then Bosch gets a little upset. It's like, you know, she's gonna be yeah. here. Today. So that was yeah. starting to build that tension. So I, I had Titus, and when you make a TV show, when you make a film, you basically kind of make it three times. So you write it down the first time, which is like an architectural plan. Mm-hmm. Then you build it like a house, you frame it, put everything up, and then post-production is almost like decorating it. You know, you come in with colors, you know, it's like, if you go with blue, maybe it'll make it feel too sad, or yellow is a little happier. So okay. So yeah, kind of three times to make this movie. So what I did was in the process was, the way it was scripted is Jay Edgar actually finds the information at the hospital. We know he has it and leaves. But I shot it in a way, I had talked to uh, Eric and the writers, in a way that like we could go out you know, you still seeing it download and Mrs. Kent there and cut out and not knowing if he found the information, not until he actually shows up. So yeah. it was originally scripted that you see him leave and he's got it. okay. Uh, so, but in the editorial, we we're able to cut out that, he, you know, you cut away and you have no, and I actually had Jamie, you know, say a curse word there, so that you <laughs> could feel his tension too. Yeah, 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 sure. And then Bosch, then you play it up with, you know, you know, the first thing like in the police station with Scott, place walks in and Amy, I always say their real names.
0: Yeah, that's okay. <laughs>
1: okay. Amy walks in and he goes, you know, she's here. You know, It was yes, great. So it already started raising the attention there. So yep. you Do those little moments and hopefully they add up into a big moment. And then as they're watching the video, the biggest thing was, you know, make sure, I wanted to make sure Mrs. Kent didn't get too upset or too emotional, but that she's very impatient, wants to leave. And then- uh-huh. uh, Yeah, Bill says, you know, okay, let me go take care of it. And so by that point, you know, unless they start finding this evidence, she's going to get free. Yeah. Uh, And then just staging that final scene was, you know, we've done this a lot on Bosch where you see what's going on in the screen, you see the people watching it, and then someone comes in and interacts with it. And so it kind of builds there's not a cut in there until Jamie gets into the office. So that adds to that tension
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: he sits down and they all lean in start looking at it. And he goes, I know it's here. I hope it, and you know, those guys were all like trying to see if it is. And then. sure, Phillips uh, comes in. And so it's all those little moments of them just looking at the screen. I hope it's there. I know it's there. I can find it. And then even like when, you know, you'll see Scott maybe roll his eyes in the background. Like, uh, I don't think that's gonna happen, <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, well, the uh, and the thing that struck me was the contrast between the tension going on among the detectives and Alicia Kent, who is like butter wouldn't melt in her mouth, she is as cool as a cucumber, <laughs> she you know, there's no her, her she's just cool completely like ice and that's such a contrast with yeah. huh. the tension that's going on in the squadron yeah
1: yeah and that, and that was the big thing that i had worked with her early on up the, early in the episode which you know when you shot list the whole movie from beginning to end in sequence order then you kind of can really know where you are at any point in the story because you're almost like writing the script so early on when she calls so when billets calls mrs kent at the op. At the house, you know, miss, we did this huge wide shot from inside the house where you see a beautiful house. She's out on the porch, you see the pool in the background, she's having tea, and you cut to Billitz, and Billitz is literally having, you know, she had a piece of paper, <laughs> <laughs> and has a donut yeah. and, a plat- and a paper cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> that was by design. So like, you know, she has a nice china, nice cup of coffee, nice cup, and whereas Billitz is like, you know, has takeaway. And then if you look at the shots, you know, it's wider on Mrs. Kin. It gets tighter, and both right. are moving in. So you start to see that tension between the two of them building up mm-hmm. before, and so then it plays off more inside the room. Right, so yeah. you can see the two contrasts. I mean, two powerful women coming at it from diff- very different approaches.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, uh, just, it's just so masterfully done. I just those were some of my favorite scenes. Is all that tension building? It just it really really worked.
1: Literally, all those little moments. Uh huh. Try to hit those moments, especially when two characters are talking to each other. Because that was really the first time Billets and and Mrs. Kent have ever even been on. Yeah, the first time they interacted was by phone call and then in the scene. And then on screen. Uh huh. So it was like taking those little moments, like, you know, Billets early on is like, you know, aren't you going to call Mrs. Kent? She's been left out of the loop. Mm -hmm. Jagger goes, did then the captain brief you? And she said, right. yeah, and then you turn around and there's this little slight look on her face, and it's yes. like you know something's wrong. You just don't know what it is. Right. Um, so like you take those little moments early on to build. To, so I'm trying to answer your question. So hopefully those moments hit early, and then they ring true once you get into the. Yeah,
0: it's a it's like a big payoff from those moments earlier the on. I payoff. definitely see that.
1: Yeah. And the to, and one question to answer your thing is like which I love. It's probably my favorite scene is when Mrs. Kent is sitting alone and Billets, you know, you cut to the door, it opens, you see her there and she looks at, uh, she has this kind of nice, okay, look at uh, Billets. And then as soon as Bosch walks in, oh. her, her eyes narrow just ever so slightly. Uh-huh. And, you, and you feel that. So if you watch that scene again, and because um, we did a couple different takes and I had her do that once and, uh, you know, she nailed it. That was, so that was really, that little moment there really built the tension up before they ever began to talk.
2: Well, in in fact, <clears throat> I also rewatched that episode in in preparation for this. And one of the things that strikes me about this show and these actors and the way that you all, as directors, put this together, is how important those I call them micro looks. They're mm-hmm. they're very subtle. But that's the other thing I love about this show is that it doesn't shout at you. You know, yeah. there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on in a very subtle, small little way that's very very important
1: sure yeah. and, very, and very effective you know yeah. and, that, mm-hmm. and the biggest thing too is that you know I, to back to answering your question as a director you know i've been working with these actors and um so we all know each other and it's one of those things where i can come in i can give them you know the amazing thing in tv and versus film is that TV, sorry to get off topic here, Tracy. No, no, it's great. It's great. I love it. The thing to get off of, you know, I grew up in film where, you know, you come in, you could rehearse an hour, hour and a half with the actors. Mm -hmm. You're you're shooting two pages, three pages that day. You built it in your schedule for all this rehearsal time. Mm -hmm. TV, you get 10 minutes, 15 minutes rehearsal, and that's it. You start shooting. And I think the thing with actors, Coming from a feature background, is that these actors have prepared, just like and watched the episode again to prepare for this. They come into a room, and a lot of times, you know, we'll come walk into a location, we'll have two hours to shoot there. And, you know, if you just take five or 10 minutes and see what the actors brought you, you'll yeah. be so good to go. A lot of times, you know, TV directors are very quick and fast, which they have to be. So I think a mm-hmm. big, you had to ask me what's the big difference between TV and film, and I think just the lack of time. And the yeah. one aspect I learned from feature filmmaking is that, you know, these actors prepared. Give them the moment to show them before you start directing them or telling them what to do. Sure, I, sure. I off, topic, off subject there.
2: That's and great. No, They're all on
0: subject as far as I'm concerned. I'm yeah. this. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's just we're fascinated with how it all comes together. But I did want to ask you about that scene with Beryl when he gets the bad news in the car and how just, it was a short scene, but just so impactful and seeing the overhead shots and the police car moving around him. Just, what did you want to tell us about that? Cause that was really an emotional beat.
1: Yeah, that's one of those hard scenes to do. And then, so Patrick Cady and I really talked about that. And I told him, you know, it's only like on the page, it's only like two lines. Yeah. So we basically, we had to try to come up with something to tell that story, and actually, if you rewatch the scene, so it's a device, so I told Patrick kind of what I wanted to do. I wanted to somehow put us within Beryl's world. Yeah. And you can do that with sound, by like taking all the sound out, but also something that you feel like you're going in with him emotionally, mm-hmm. so it was basically, it was a camera trick. Uh, Patrick is going to love that you asked this question, so we <laughs> had a regular shot, Beryl comes around, and that was done by a Cam. So we're outside okay. the car. Then, uh-huh. we made, then we mounted a camera on the hood. So Troy is driving. And so okay. that camera that was on the hood had a special, special, like a lens adapter. It had polarizers. And you, you've you heard of polarizers, right? Like polarized sunglasses. <laughs> it takes the right. glare, yeah.
2: Takes so the glare we, away.
1: Yeah, right. it takes the glare away. So on filmmaking, a lot of times you'll get a kickoff of, you know, especially water that will mm-hmm. clear the camera and it's too bright. And, it, and the lens, uh, these digital lenses, it'll just actually sometimes make it all look you know, blown out. Okay. Or, or so Patrick, I told him I wanted to have this, the, the old, it's kind of, a, uh, without doing the Hitchcock effect, the Hitchcock effect is basically you, you dolly in and you zoom out. So the sure. background changes it and it uh, takes it out of focus. Mm-hmm, so Patrick mm-hmm. did a lot of research and found this device that actually had two polarizers connected to each other. So as they started changing, that would the, the depth of field and behind them changed. Oh,
0: okay.
1: So he actually, had, so it's a little not used by too many people. Is that the polarizers are going like this? Uh-huh. Creating, uh huh. Less light. So Patrick had another device to actually open up the aperture to get more light into the camera, and okay. what you. Have, so the background starts off nice and sharp, then all of a sudden, it goes out of focus. And that gives you that feeling of being out of control. Like Okay, yeah. Reality. And then the idea was that, you know, you, you would see that's the real police station. And uh-huh. as the guys enter the Hollywood police station, they always enter going the wrong side on the left-hand side. Just died. It's, it's only from the fact that the key card is on the left-hand side when they drive in. So okay. they always drive in the wrong way and drive out the... Wrong way. So the idea was to somehow, you know, it was only two lines in the script, was that to show that he, you know, so we cut out to the wide shot where you see the cars going around and and he's still stuck at the middle of the entrance to give Mm -hmm. it, like he's in shock.
0: Yeah, he's stuck in that moment for sure. Yeah. yeah. That's really fascinating. It's the the technical aspects of how to achieve that. It's just, that's really, that's really interesting to me. So
1: very cool. cool. Like when you actually, you know, what's great about it is like, with Patrick and I, we can suggest things to each other without uh-huh. feelings. But it's also like, you know, he did a lot of research on that in his own time and brought something to me that was better than, I mean, because we were thinking that, you know, we're going to have to like mount something on the camp car and push in and all this. But, and again, that was another location that we probably did three or four different sets that day. Okay. Uh, so, very cool.
0: Well, I'm sure Anne, she's taken a lot of notes on the
2: episode. So what's something else (laughs) you want to ask Trey about? My notes, actually, like I said, there's so much going on in this episode that my Mm -hmm. notes are more like trying to keep track of of everything that that was happening. One of my favorite parts, and I'm sure that Tracy enjoyed this too, was (laughs) Henrik's cameo. Oh yes. yeah, um, talk about that. I, I wanted to ask because wasn't that the same bar that um, that Michael Connolly made his his cameo so. in a couple seasons ago?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So literally, same I, I same literally. It's, so what I in preparation, you know, I've done all. You you watch these episodes. Okay. You, do, you do all your stuff, but as for directing, I literally watched all uh, five seasons again from start oh. to finish. Why I you know was finishing prep in four and starting prep in five. And um, I had noticed Michael was, you know, I'd forgotten he was in that scene. And so I talked to him. I said, do you want to revise it? Because it's really going to be the same characters and stuff. And so yeah. He, my, so Michael Conley said, yeah, I'll do it. And then, like, he had to go do a book signing. And so he texted Henrik the night before. Oh, okay. Goes, do you want me to be in it? I go, of course I want you to be in it. And, yeah. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, I was just borrowing from what they had done before. But I think yeah. it's uh- Henrik is in it.
0: Okay. Very cool. Very cool how that sort of came together then with Henrik instead of Michael. Well, what's it... I'm curious, the scene with Jerry and Conniff and Espinosa, and they're watching, well, going in under Felix, going into the of the Haitian charity. When you film something like that, are they really watching the actor Celestino do that, or is it two separate filming?
1: No, I actually had a shot there that we didn't end up using that actually was going down the side of the car. You see him pull up front and you rise up and then the rear view mirror, you would have saw that Espinosa and Conoff in the front seat. But yes, they were actually there. We shot that, and we tend to do that on Bosch. We tend to, we always try to shoot something that's organic like that at the same time.
0: Okay. Okay. And and what what are some of the tricks about filming people in a car? How many cameras get inside that car to, to do that? The
1: trick is get, using longer lenses and outside the car. So you use a longer lens. It looks like you are actually inside the car with them. But in, in reality, you're shooting okay. with screen and stuff. Okay. Uh, and I, you've heard about the pod car that we use on... Bosch all the time, right?
0: Uh, I'm not sure.
1: Okay, so with Titus and when Bosch is his his police sedan, so basically we use a pod car, which is basically you have a stepman on top of the car in a little okay in a little seat that drives the car itself. And okay. That, you can put cameras everywhere, you can mount it, and then the actors don't have to worry about what they're doing. And you can drive around the streets of LA without a big insert car, you know, a camera car with a trailer and a car on top of it. This way it's just, you're in your own little car, and there's somebody okay. on top of it, a stuntman on top driving. Oh, so okay. Yeah, and a lot of people ask us, how do we get all these shots, driving shots in Los Angeles? It's because we've gotten to this pod car, uh, which is ingenious. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
2: Sounds like it works very well.
1: Yeah. I mean, you get shots that you normally would not get in, you know, other driving work.
0: Did Um, you have any issues with weather on this episode?
1: No. uh, I'm trying to think. I don't think we had any issues with weather. Uh, Being in episode five, we tend to, during – you know, sometimes you have to go shoot a scene here or there early. Mm-hmm. While you're okay. And sometimes, like, you have to shoot a scene later. So, like, when Barrel's sitting at the bar, yeah. You know, so we shot that, actually, for the memorial. It's the same bar, so that was in episode nine. So sometimes what you'll do is you'll... Help, so we'll shoot a couple scenes from one episode on a day. Okay. If mm-hmm. that makes sense.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: okay. So one, of, one of the moments, which... Uh, you know, that I was proud of is that, you know, watching all of the episodes, it's really, it's all about, Bosch is really about relationships with people. Sure. And so being, episode five doesn't have any big stunt chances, it, it, it ties a lot of pieces up, it, it sets things up, we don't have big mm-hmm. stuff, but the opening I thought was pretty unique because, you know, the chief is a pretty private person and you never see much emotion from him and, you know, if you look at the rest of the episodes, they all open up either in a interrogation or nursing or giving inf- at the hospital when the doctor goes in to take the cesium so five is kind of a unique episode in the sense that you know Irving's getting married so you open up and you don't know where he is he's you, but you know he's internally thinking of something and then you cut uh-huh. down he's at his son's grave yeah and then you cut back and then he says yeah you know, he misses him and wish he could be there and then it goes to Bosch and Edgar at the police station and that's when Edgar mm-hmm. starts to look through the files. And then Bosch takes out the photo of Daisy Clayton and has that moment there and puts it under the glass. And yeah. And those two those two scenes are some of my favorite because it's, you know, you can see the chief being very vulnerable. Yes. That that the world doesn't get to see. Right. Uh, only the audience will get to see that. And then you see a moment between Jay Edgar and, and Bosch. And then Bosch, you know, I mean, pretty much, you know, what your podcast is uh, named after is like, puts a picture under it and taps the glass, which is kind of a nice way to open up the episode. And then that, so it was all these, in to Crate and Barrel's relationship, you know, you gotta love that. Uh-huh. You got Patty and Bosch. And another thing I had noticed is that, you know, they wear... The- the rope bracelets, mm-hmm. and you'll see them together, but you've never, there's only one time that I have noticed that you actually really see them together. It's, you know, it's the episode after her mother is killed. He's driving uh-huh. her, and her hand is down in the, uh-huh. in the seats, and uh, Bosch goes to grab her hand, and they're both there at the, at the moment, and she pulls it back. Yeah, so, yeah, In my episode, when Bosch gets the news, you know, his, his friend had died. Right. Died on the balcony, and so... You know, now Maddie's becoming more of the adult, more of like the uh, you know, make, trying to check mm-hmm. how he feels, and so she walks out, and his hands there. So we did a shot where you know you see his bracelet and her hand come they in grab
0: hold, yeah,
1: for a moment. Yeah. Then you know you kind of cut back out wide, and he taps her. But I, to me, that was like a very touching moment. It was, was it was very s- symbolic of you know. Before, she kind of retracted. Now she's going to him to cover him.
0: Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How things evolve. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Yeah, that was was a neat shot. Very, very emotional, for sure. Well, what was it like shooting a wedding? It was tough. It was tough, you know? (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's tough. It was (laughs) hot. We were in a house without air conditioning. Oh. You know, and it was... And, and, and that's Chief Irving's house. It's a beautiful house. And you we have to go very slowly, slowly there because it's like everything is, you know, I think it's national. It's, it's on the registers uh, as a, a landmark or a house. Oh. It's, it has a plaque on the outside and I can't think of the word right now, but, um, okay. you know. So it, it was good, but it was, you know, it was one of those days it was hot and mm-hmm. people picked up in Texas and stuff. But I think the the opening shot, you know, out to the fountain and you see them out in his backyard. Mm-hmm. That was beautiful. And, and I liked it. It wasn't too sappy or emotional, you know? No.
0: Yeah. It was, it was very elegant. Very, yeah, very, it was just right. Yeah. I liked it. I'm yeah. a sucker for a good wedding scene. So yeah. well,
1: and again, that's another <laughs> moment. It's like, you know, after his friend leaves, you know, uh-huh. she he kisses him and says she loves him. And he says, I love you. So again, another uh, chief Irving moment that you, know, yeah. you never get to see. in. Most of these Bosch things. So it's, it's, I had a lot of little moments like that that I really loved, you know, with the, you know, with, with Troy and Lance and then, and also with Titus, you know, I mean, this, yeah. you know, all these little moments that, you know, you could see. And it's back to what you said, and micro, all these little micro expressions and mm-hmm. stuff like that. You can tell they're yeah. feeling, feeling what they're talking about. And yeah. I, th-
2: I think one of the beauties of this show and why I enjoy it so much is seeing the evolution of these characters. Mm-hmm. And You know, I think in this episode, we saw some softer sides, more vulnerable sides of, of quite a few of them. I mean, even yeah. in the situation that Grace is about to go through with Cooper, who mm-hmm. <laughs> what a way he has about him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you you can feel those vulnerabilities and see them, and I and they're very and I think they're very meaningful. And I think what makes them even more meaningful is that we haven't been completely inundated with them over yeah. the course of six seasons. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. More yeah. slowly, but yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Well, and you, just, and you reminded me of the, the so with Maddie and Bosch's relationship, it's interesting, you know, she comes home that, I believe it's that night, you know, he's looking through those cards, a dog, right. him, trying to find, you know, any information that's, you know, it's again, a needle in a haystack, just like Jay is doing, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. those little cards that they're, they're basically witness cards. So anytime like an officer shows up, he'll take the information down and then they just file him in these boxes. So the mm-hmm. one thing, we kind of didn't understand until Tim and Mitzi told us that, you know, he's probably gone through three, three 4,000 of these things by now. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So he's kind of, you know, once we understood that, that, then we could make it work where he's so distracted by going through them. But it's mm-hmm. like most people would have given up and then he's trying to talk to Maddie and Maddie's trying to tell him what's going on at work. And, and she kind of, you know, gets a little irritated. He apologizes. Then she leaves and takes him for a walk. And then that's when he goes to the bar and then comes back and finds out, his friend died and she comforts him, but it's mm-hmm. great. The next morning, you know, she's up. We did the time transition shot. Again, thanks. Yeah, to that
0: was cool. That
1: was cool. Right. Uh, thanks to Patrick Katie. You know, that was a lot of, that was hours and hours of talk and meetings, how we do it. And, and especially to do it at the Bosch house, you have to kind of schedule it. And, and, and Parker Clemente did a great job on scheduling, you know, because mm-hmm. we literally left the camera rolling. and we. And then came back and you still have to keep people in and but patrick had to light it in the daytime you know to make it work in the nighttime so it was okay very complicated to do something like that that's why you don't see it very often in films because it's just it's very time consuming and yeah parker and patrick pulled it off but i love she gets up and she's working the next morning he comes in and and starts talking to her and gives her a hard time from uh working with money. So all of a sudden you went from like, you know, the night before she, he was blowing her off and then she comforted him and yeah. they had a moment together. And then the next morning they get irritated at each other. And then yeah. you know, he and the, we, we played that scene. I'd said to Maddie, it's like, you know, you're just, you're closing your books. It's in the conversation. You don't want to talk to me anymore. You're not going <laughs> to be like this and, and you're going to get out of there. And then, you know, Titus did a great look at her as he watched her walk out and you could just see, he was like, you know, worried that she was, you know, working. For money yeah right. yeah i love that that whole you know sequence the three scenes really close together but also different between
0: uh, yeah it was good contrast stuff. i mean yeah. just visually and, and the the storyline everything yeah that. for sure yeah. so very cool very cool well anything else that you want to tell us that just really sticks out for you for the experience of that episode i mean you've talked about so many great things and so many great moments i just don't want to miss something <laughs>
1: No, it's, it, I think it's, it's, what's interesting is that, you know, you, you kind of have all these little moments that are so out of context, you know, and it's just little things that you can do that add to it. One of them was Dante Crow, you know, uh-huh. it, you're looking at the audition tapes and this great looking actor loved him, but his teeth were so white. And I, I talked to the makeup department, I talked to L, and I said, can, you know, can we darken his teeth? Because I mean, okay. he's the character that stands up with Mimi Rogers and pulls up. Yeah, her.
0: yeah. Uh huh.
1: So, I mean, he's been in prison for a while. Yeah. So you yeah. see that scene? All I can see now that his teeth are pretty yellow. But okay. I think if we hadn't done darkened his teeth, you would have something. Would have like it's some? He doesn't really feel like a. You know, I mean, I can barely keep my teeth. <laughs> a I don't know how a prisoner would keep it white. Uh, <laughs> So that, that was just like one of these yeah, little no,
0: that's interesting because that could have been a distraction. It could have kind of taken you out of the field. I love that level of detail. Wow.
1: And, and a lot of times, you know, what's interesting, especially, you know, sound and, all, and clothes and all, all these little tension details. You know, when it's as an audience member, you don't have to be a filmmaker. But as audience member, you know something's wrong or doesn't ring true. It's like, okay, I'm not buying that. And mm-hmm. if you go back and try to realize that sometimes, you know, maybe it's the dialogue or the actor wasn't good, but a lot of times it'll be something as small as that. And as that's on Bosch, we take so much pride within the you know, communications department, from the art department, from the AD, the transportation department, all departments, we're a stickler for details. And so... A lot of times, you know, we're getting into details and that you would not see in a TV show, but you'd probably see in a feature. So, yeah. I think that's one of the most thing, proud things of Bosch is that, you know, from the producers down to from the writers to the cast and crew, everybody's mm-hmm. trying to make the best show they can. And so I gave you that little teeth yellow detail, but yeah. you should sit in our meetings. We'll, we'll go into like, you know, should it be a blue pin or a red pin? Or what's, you know, what's yeah there or what's that? So, Bosch really pays. The, Attention to details, and I think that's why a friend of mine just texted me that's in the business and loves the show. Uh-huh. So you know, she thinks it's one of the best shows on network or um, streaming. And I think it's because we pay attention. Yeah, it's like the great writing from Michael and Eric and all the writers to the technical and the actors. We yeah. pay attention to the details and they really add up in the end it's all that back to what ann said it's all those little micro moments right. that you see within the film within the show
0: well you've trained your viewers to watch for those details too so yeah there's no turning back now because yeah. we watch yeah. it so carefully but it's just yeah it makes it such a richer experience and i think the fans i mean what do you would you say and i think we like to work for it a little bit you know and Put the pieces yeah. together, take those subtle parts and like, oh, that, you know, and add the pieces up. So
2: it's fantastic. Well, I, I'm a, a longtime reader. I, and that's mm-hmm. where I first came in contact with, with Harry Bosch was in Michael's yeah. book. And I like this. One of the things I like about the show is that you have to think about it a little bit. Sure. It doesn't yeah. just give you everything on the plate, you know, Right. Like, it gives you some direction but doesn't always, you know, spell it out, you know. Right, right. You you give us just enough pieces. We're not spoon-fed,
0: but you carefully plan all the pieces so that it will come together for us. But yeah, I I
2: love having to work for
0: it a little bit. Absolutely.
2: For example, I'm really curious about what's going on with Vega um, because she said something about you know she was dealing with some things and that that maybe this is what was affecting her relationship with grace and why she mm-hmm. had her back up so much about grace's you mm-hmm. know handsiness yeah um so i think there's more there we just don't know what it is yet yeah we just have to I was wait i
1: think we're on the right track <laughs> okay <laughs> very good very good
2: we'll and the thing is, Trey, we not only watch it, we watch it and rewatch it. And rewatch it. So uh, yeah. And talk about it and talk
0: about it. So yeah. Obsessed. Well, just a, I've been a, called obsessed. Yeah, right. obsessed. That's a good that's a fair word for sure. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time and giving us all that detail behind the scenes. Like I said, we just soak it up like a sponge. We just are fascinated. It just adds to the whole storytelling of Bosch.
1: Well, and, and thank Rick. you for promoting the show and the, and the doing the podcast. We really appreciate it and I appreciate it. It's yeah. Well it's thank amazing. you. Yeah this is long I had fans like this and it's, it's really nice when you know and it feels like this year Bosch has really hit the top of its game just mm-hmm. with fans and the recognition and people really you know realizing you know what the show's about and how good it is sure. you know it's great when you have a great fan base it, it yeah. makes it more enjoyable to go to work when you know people love the show well good good
0: you're welcome back anytime on the podcast thank this you. was a lot of fun That's and true. uh just stay safe and take care and we
2: appreciate it
1: all right thank you ann thank, thank you Chris. thank you
2: Bye. bye